Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. I'm thrilled to welcome my guest today, Dina Upton, the Chief People Officer at Drift. And if you're not familiar with Drift, Drift is a Boston-based conversational marketing platform that combines chat, email, video, and automation to remove the friction from business buying. And I'm excited to share her career story and insights with all of you. So let's get to it. Dina, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Adam. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for joining me. And as I was saying off the air, you know, I, I deeply appreciate your flexibility. We went back and forth. And in this day and age with COVID and things shifting around, and I think that's really the theme for you know 2020 and 21 is just being flexible, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Because you just, um, we've never been in this situation before. So um, there is no playbook for there it. There is no playbook. So let's let's bring everyone up to speed. And when I do these shows, I love to talk about folks early, you know, the early days. And you've had a long career focused on what many companies are finally recognizing as the most important piece, their people. So starting out as an HR rep at Accenture to now working as a chief people officer at Drift, what made you realize early on that you wanted to be and dedicate your life to the people business? Yeah, I mean, I um, always had an interest in it, even in college, um, you know, organizational design, uh, leadership courses I took in college. But I, I, my first job was at Accenture. And the job at Accenture was you had to understand our customers and our clients. So um, I did system integration work. I actually coded for a while. Um, and so uh, the, the, the partner that closed me on that interview said, because I, I was interested in the people function, he said, but why don't you understand our customers first? And that was actually one of the best pieces of advice because I was staffed on a project. I, then I moved and I traveled a bunch. So I actually had um, empathy as I moved into the people role at Accenture, but moving into a people role at a professional services organization is really staffing and resource management. But I could, right. un I understand what it was, what it felt like to live on the role, um, on the road. I understood customer demands and the rigor of um, a consulting position. So, um, so that was that. That was that kickstarted it for me. And it's really interesting because I've only met a handful of I call them purebred recruiters or talent acquisition folks that actually go to school for it or they come out of school and they get right into it. And it's fascinating that you say that, you know, you have spent time, you know, you spent early part in the roles that you were hiring and building teams out for. So you really truly understood what it was like. And especially in the consulting world, being on the road, what type of personality it was, the, ch the challenges that come along with it. But I'd like to ask you, you know, early on, what was, you know, one, one maybe big mistake that you made 
that you know you course corrected and really set you going in the right direction for the future? I think early on, I mean, if I go back to my early days, I think I thought of career advancement as being um, as being linear. Um, you know, especially at Accenture, it's like you start in as a consultant, you move to a senior consultant, principal consultant, manager, etc. It's very all the way up the ladder. Develop these skills, you move, and that for me defines success. And I think um, you know, moving into the people function was a lateral change for me when I finally did it. Um, and then you all, once you move into the people function, you have a vantage point of all of those moves across the organization, people moving in, moving out, moving into different roles. And you realize the beauty of, of, of mobility. And I mean, it doesn't, your career doesn't always, doesn't always take up the path that you might've outlined. It weaves oh, no and, it, and it, it may, you're better for it. So I think that, um, that was one of the big lessons that I learned early on. And I've been able to carry that forward with individuals that I'm working with and organizations that I'm helping to grow. And the other thing you talked about early on is, is empathy. And it's one of those buzzwords right now, because everyone's saying empathy, lead with empathy, be with empathy. But what does it truly mean to not just say it, but to act on it individually and as an organization? I think, um, I, I think especially in the people function, I think you have to be a business trend. Um, a business practitioner before you can um, fully engross yourself in whatever challenges that you're trying to solve from from a people perspective. And I think I, I and I, I think that for me that ties into empathy, which means it, I've talked about it earlier with you. I felt that I was a better HR person in at Accenture because I actually sat in the seat of a consultant. I flew every week to a customer site. I understood the demands of that position. So when I staffed people and they asked about travel commitments or other things, I could actually speak from a place of experience. Them. So that's that's how I think about it. Um, you're more authentic and more genuine. I think in all the roles that I've had in the companies that I've worked for, I've, I've, I've had a genuine interest in what we were trying to solve for our customers. And I think that brings an, a perspective to the people function. Like that's always been important to me. It's always important for HR business partners or recruiters that work in my organization. You're a business practitioner first. Um, so whatever we're trying to solve, either in the talent acquisition framework, we're, we're, we're hiring like crazy or we're opening up an office in Israel or whatever it is, you need to understand the business business drivers for what you're trying to achieve. And anything that we do is pushing forward those specific business drivers. That's tremendous. I, I greatly appreciate that. So I want to shift the conversation to talking about leadership. And the people at Drift have eight leadership principles. And you talk about them a lot when you speak about decision making within an organization. How do you make sure that those principles are at the root of every day to day decision? Um, yeah, they have to be. So I think a couple things. They are um, like we don't put them on the wall. We don't put them on a wall. They're not on a T-shirt. They're not they like are, when you come in. They're not. <laughs> they're not there. No, they're not. They're not. They are um, used. They're used in the way that we interview. They're used. We just went through a 360 sort of. Re we do we do reviews, loose reviews, um, twice a year. So 360 review, peer review upward, downward, et cetera. And those leadership principles are woven into the questions that we ask. So we ask how individuals are putting the customer at the center of everything that they do, how they're um, demonstrating a bias for action and delivering day res daily results, um, building a culture of respect and trust, et cetera. All those leadership principles are woven in 
not only in the way we hire, but in the way that we evaluate how successful someone is operating, regardless of whether or not they're managing a large team or they're managing themselves, but they've got to show up. And those leadership principles are guideposts for everyday decisions. Um, and we, uh, we use them. They are, they're, they're woven into how we make hiring decisions, like seek feedback, not consensus. Um, we don't we don't vote on whether or not someone is right for a position. You, you get data and the, what we call the DRI or the hiring manager, the designated responsible individual who is on the hook to make that hire, they will, they will get as much data as they possibly can in the interview process and then make a decision going forward. So it's not, it's not, it's not a consensus-based recruiting decision-making process. And it's really interesting that you said that because when I was going through the principles, I actually found number five, you know, the most interesting quote, seek feedback, not consensus. Yep. Let's unpack that for a minute because, you know, myself as a recruiter, I've worked with many different organizations and, you know, I, I found that like true feedback is, is really a gift, right? The, the way people give feedback, the way they take feedback and feedback is critically important. So let's unpack it from, from your perspective. Seek yep. feedback, not consensus. What does that mean to you? Um, it means that, um, you know, we, we, well, a couple of things we... Okay. We don't agree with uh, consensus slows you down, right? You've, you've, you've probably heard uh, or, or experienced p uh, individuals from organizations where you need, you need 10 or 12 people in a conference room to make a decision. Um, it slows things down. And um, we, the best ideas never actually sound like the best ideas when you first hear about them. But seeking feedback gives you uh, perspective. It, the voice of the customer is strong. Um, it's disagreeing and committing. It's all of mm. those things. I think. I think Good sometimes, especially in the, especially in the recruiting world, you get so caught up in when you're when you're talking about a, a candidate in the process to say, okay, does everyone agree that this person is the right particular per person for the role? I think the important thing is, does the 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 hiring manager or the DRI believe that all of the feedback that they got in the interview process reinforces the scorecard that they built for the position, right? Like, it does this person match what we need right now? And so all of the feedback that you hear in the in in interview process should reinforce that scorecard. And so I think the framework, the job description, the scorecard, how you set up the interview to make sure there's a match there, and, and all of the feedback that you're getting in the interview process should reinforce or, or maybe prove that that particular person is not right for the role. It's, it's interesting. I mean, the decision-making process when you unpack it, because I, I think that's something that's not shown a lot or talked a lot about publicly. Even if we talk about it on LinkedIn, let's let's kind of unveil the curtain and, and, and talk about that decision-making process. And one of the pieces that comes into a lot is is ego, right? So, you know, how do you create a culture where you remove that ego from that talent decision-making process? And, and, and just to say, like, I know scorecards are part of it and kind of level setting there too. But, you know, I mean, ego, good or bad, I mean, because there's some level of ego that I would argue is good and certain level of success has some ego in it. But we're talking about the negative side of ego. And how do you remove that from the decision making process in, in, in recruiting? Do you mean that you mean the ego of the Canada or the ego no, the, uh, in the internal team? Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's it's hard. But I think if you reinforce the I mean, if you reinforce that everyone's job in the interview process is to get as much data as you possibly can. You have 45 minutes, you have an hour to get it to know as much as you can about this particular person. And I think the importance of data gathering 
and in reinforcing data will take the ego out of the equation. Now, there's I'm level set it. It's it's um it's tricky when you have somebody that's referred someone or uh, you have a hiring manager that is on the hook to hire this position like last week. That's hard because they want to move quickly. They 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 you know, they've got happy ears on right. saying like, this is the right candidate. It's a friend of mine or whatever. I think if you, you reinforce, go back to the scorecard. Okay. Are we looking for someone with five to seven years of experience? Do we need someone that's sold to enterprise customers? What is it that is going to make this role successful? That's why I think, and a scorecard is different than a job description. A job description is written in a PR kind of way to get as many people as you can to, 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 to uh, apply for the role. But the scorecard is what do you want this person to come in and do? And are they going to be successful doing that in the environment that you have right now? However big the organization is or how small the organization is, will they thrive in that environment? And I think if you go back to data, if you go back to the data and the collection of data in the interview process, you'll pull the ego out of it. But you're right, there's so many different factors. You know, the hiring manager wants to hire somebody right away. So they're probably going to listen for more positive components to reinforce the the scorecard and whether or not this person will be successful. Um, but you do, you want people in the interview pa- panel that will challenge your thinking. Um, That's and, important. And, and bring- you and, counterpoints. You yeah, make a healthy you, debate and say, hey, right. listen, I saw something in this candidate that maybe I didn't like, or maybe I caught something that you didn't see because I asked a question a little bit differently. But just to backtrack <laughs> for a second, right? Like scorecards are an equalizer and they're, they're measurable and it gives you those data points to kind of neutralize certain parts of the debate from a skill right. set perspective, right? And it's interesting. Right. You, I'm too, sure, I mean, you, yeah, you've been on a, you've been on a post or something where somebody's, um, there's different, there's different agenda items. And I think if you go back, the equalizer is, this is the scorecard. What is the data that you gathered, and how can we see if that the the information reinforce reinforces the hire or tells you it's probably not the right person for right now? Yeah. So one of one of the things that that, that I've been debating in my head for the last year because I see it all over LinkedIn is this debate of hiring for character, training for skill, and I think we got to pull back on that a little bit and really understand that for certain jobs, dogs. You have to have, sorry. Right. It's fine. Like for certain jobs, you have to have a certain skill set to come in. Like you have to have a bare minimum and everyone's talking about like character or skill. And and I believe, you know, I, I believe that you can't really tell true character until someone's in a role and they're embedded in a company. But what are some of the, you know, little tools and tricks and questions that you ask in an interview to really try to understand somebody's character early on? Yeah, I think I, I'm a big believer in a in a what we what we call the who. It's an interview, it's kind of a it's a structured scorecard interview, which means you take someone comes in for you're, you're you're going back three jobs or if it's an entry-level job you're going back three maybe they worked on a project when they were in college or whatever it is mm-hmm. but you're going back three jobs and you start chronologically go back to the, the the earliest job they had you ask questions about who did they report into you write down the name what would that particular person say about them mm-hmm. critiques areas of development that type of thing and you you work through each role why did they leave what was what was what was the exit how did they did they get pulled over did they did something happen um, and you can't you you if you start digging in to try to pull out as much data as you can for the segue into each role they can't they can't practice that um, and then if you dig dig into um, into uh, in into why they made decisions, you know, what, what does success look like for them in each right. of those roles? What were significant accomplishments? I think you could dig in a little bit on, on um, what did, what was, 
you know, challenging with what they did and what their team did, um, et cetera. Oh. And you could pull, pull back a lot of information. Yeah, and, and it's way. important that you have consistency. And that's another thing I'm listening from a process perspective that you're asking every candidate the same type of questions. That way you could level set and have a barometer, especially when you get to the end and you're having these informed conversations. You'd be like, well, I asked this candidate this, but you didn't ask him that one. Like, how do you, you know, gauge one against the other? And I think that's critical in the, in the talent acquisition process. So how do you do this as you're scaling? How do you ensure that? I mean, you're going through hyper growth right now. You know, you've grown this workforce tremendously since you joined in, in 2018. So how do you stay effective as a people leader in ensuring the processes continue, ensuring the quality, you know, stays with it? How do you manage it all through growth? Yeah, I think the big thing is making sure you've got an executive team, leadership team that is reinforcing these concepts around hiring. Um, the most important job that our C-suite will do is hiring the next batch of leaders, hiring effectively in their particular area because they can delegate more effectively. So the, the hire... Hiring of that leadership team is incredibly important. Making sure that you have a process outlined um, that they, that that we're following a consistent process that we can mm -hmm. audit, that we can figure out where we've got inefficiencies in particular areas. Mm -hmm. um, the leadership principles are really important, Adam. We talked about that earlier. I think. David and Elias, our two founders, um, put those in place when Drift was really small. Um, and they've been the foundation of, of how we bring talent into the organization Critical. and how we assess talent. So I think the formation of those leadership principles are incredibly important um, because they, those, they, th that will be carried on as we expand into Australia, as we expand into um, EMEA, et cetera. And so that, that's, been, that's been foundational for how we bring additional talent into the organization. And I think the concept of talent density, right? This is a Netflix hmm. term, um, but you- Have that book right over there, right, yeah. Patty McCord? Right. Yep. <laughs> Sitting um, right over there on that shelf. It's a great concept to continue to reinforce with your team, right? Like if you're bringing on a new um, BDR to the, to the, 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 or an SDR, sales development rep, right? Is that new hire gonna, are they the best that you've seen with the team that you have right now? And every hire that you make, are you leveling up the organization, right? Like you don't necessarily just want them to be a fill a rack, be a person in a seat to actually accomplish a ta task, but are they going to, and that's, a, it's hard when you ask the question, okay, is this a, are you increasing the talent density of your team by making this hire? How would you, how would you as a hiring manager, how would you answer that question? If they say no, then we need to keep looking. And so that like you raise the bar every single time you bring a new person into the organization. I think that continues to um, elevate all of us. And you said something that's so critical and I talk about this all the time, but it starts at the top. It really truly starts at the top at the executive level when you have a C-suite that is so on board with people first and they truly understand that people are everything within the organization, it, it, it cascades down. Yeah, yeah, I because mean, it's, it's, it, it, especially in the hiring process, right? It is it, 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 like Todd Barnett, our CRO, um, Elias Torres, was our founder, David Cancel, they all, they uh, recruiting and hiring and our diversity metrics and our attrition rates are just as important to them as it is to me. And they're pushing, pushing that message. I'm not pushing that message. And it is the responsibility of every leader 
to fill those positions with the right level of talent. And they are all held accountable for it. I'm responsible. I'm shepherding a process. I'm making sure that we've we've got a team in place to help bring talent in and all of those mechanics are in place, but they're actually responsible for bringing talent into the organization. And if we're behind, they're behind. So I think team effort there. the importance of that shared message and that the whole organization hears it and believes it is, um, is really important. Dina, let me ask you, when I say the word culture, what does that mean to you and how do you define it within Drift? Yeah, I think I think about it, you know, there's, um, there are sort of, we talked a little bit about it earlier, there's kind of five aspects of our culture that have been really important to us and something that we've really been doubling down on, especially as we're kind of digital first and all working remotely. Number one is the leadership principles that we talked a little bit about earlier. Um, uh, you know, a, 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 everything that we celebrate is in those leader or are talked about in those leadership principles. They are guardrails that steer our conversation. Um, they're really important. I think that is, you know, that's it's one of the aspects that is important to defining our culture. I think this idea of high performance, hiring the best. Um, and we talked a little bit about that earlier with talent density and raising the bar and having those hiring uh, metrics. Um, accountable to those leaders. I think that's the second thing that's really important. I think the third thing is um, this idea of kind of hiring adults and autonomy. So making sure that autonomy is built into everything that we do and hiring people that are capable of filling whatever role it is that you're that you're trying to, 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 trying to, to, to bring into the organization. Um, the fourth is rituals. Um, and those have always been really important to us. So, what do you um, mean by rituals? So we we there's some things that we do at Drift that really um, that really I smile because I love them. So we 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 bookend we our bow weeks. to the sun god. Every yeah, morning. we yeah exactly no doing our we, sun salutations. We, <laughs> <laughs> we bookend our weeks um, with what we we, we kickstart the week with with it's a it's a it's a, a it, they were these are two town halls. Everybody's on these calls. They used to be in person when we were in in office mm-hmm. company. Now we've they're fully remote. But Monday metrics twenty minute quick stand up. It's led by our VP of ops. We've got our you know our a senior person in the sales organization talking about deals that are, are in play that particular mm-hmm. week where we're headed. Um, marketing VP. Everyone involved. They know what's going on. It's communication. Yeah. So there's no excuse. Right. That's what it boils down to is communicating with with the team. I didn't mean to cut you off there. I apologize. The theme that I'm hearing here is transparent communications, managing expectations up and down and transparency, right? Transparency is the key name of the game. Right. Yeah. And And then the success, the challenges is is a company going through a challenge now. Like, so everyone could be involved and really understand and goes back to kind of being empathetic. Right. Across the board. Right. And I think that once you do that, you um, and then Friday is, is you know, the a Friday ritual is called show and tell. And it's um, it is um, it's a stand up led by our it's emceed by one of our product leads. It's super uh, active. We uh, one person from each department gets up, talks about a problem that they had, a challenge, what they what they did. Is there a CTA for everyone else? It's five minutes. It's timed. We vote on it. The chat goes insane. Um, you know, it's really it's really lively, and so um, that's that's how we end the week. Um, and we also have like an open mic for our executive team where we 
any questions are asked anonymously and then people can chime in and ask questions, but it's just to make sure it, it ties back into that idea of transparency. Um, we just had a board meeting. So tomorrow we'll talk about what was discussed at the board meeting, um, challenges that are that lie ahead for us, et cetera. Um, so that's how we end the week. And then, and then I think the last thing about culture for us is this um, idea of equity. Um, you know, everything that we do uh, at Drift, we're kind of on a, on a mission to build an equitable organization. Um, with two um, Latinx founders, it's really been important to them. It's always like DEI is important to them, but more importantly, is to ensure that we're building an equitable organization. And what was one of the drivers to why we decided to go um, digital first? How do you ensure DEI in the recruiting process? And how do you work with your team to remove that unconscious bias? Yeah, so for us, you know, we, we measure everything. So we are, um, you know, our, um, we are 13% uh, underrepresented people across Drift, 43% uh, females. Um, we measure that, the whole organization, where we know is where we're tracking, we, where we are tracking from a level perspective across the organization. And then, and then on the, recruiting side. So I think visibility is important and visibility internally and externally around where we are tracking. Um, I also think that um, we, we, we practice a balanced hiring process. So for every position that we have open, we ensure there's an, uh, there is a URP and a female in the formal phase mm -hmm. of the recruiting process, not the informal but what, phase. But what if, but what if, you know, I, and I just want to play devil's advocate here because I'm sorry, I have something happen. I'm devil's advocate here. The idea of hiring the best possible candidate. Yep. Right. What if that best possible candidate just happens to be a white male? Do you got to try a little the, harder. So they got to keep pushing. I'm but not saying that that's. I'm not. I'm not saying that's not the right hire. But right. who else have you? That's why I think it's important to make sure you've got a female and an underrepresented person. Underrepresented person in the formal phase of the interview process. So that, our recruiters. That I, that I agree with. You keep pushing. You keep pushing to ensure that you have an ample sample set, you know, across, you know, representing everybody. And we might very well hire that particular person. They might be the most qualified for the role, but. Did we go through an, an exhaustive search? I agree. That's the key right there. The did, did we put in the effort to make sure that we exhausted the search to be as inclusive of everybody as possible? You hit the, you hit the nail on the head. Of it. That's really what it comes down to. Because ultimately, the company has to hire the best possible candidate. But you have to make sure that you've done your due diligence, that you give everyone a fair shot. And even if it takes a little bit longer, and everyone on the team's on board with that, like that someone understands that, you know what, that open seat on your team might be open another couple of weeks. Right. But us as an organization, we're committed to diversity, inclusion, and belonging. And this is what it may take to extend the search, to exhaust the search a little bit. But it shouldn't though, Adam. I think the other thing that I'll say is you're right, time might be in the way, but I think then you tackle that on the top of funnel activities, right? Like we are lucky Open that we have up. two underrepresented minority founders that speak a lot about this, right? Like they are, they are, that that's, it's in their DNA. It's who mm -hmm. they are. And so um, like we, we do, we get a lot of candidates that now see us because of who they are. So you you've got to do some, up. you got to do some legwork at the top I to, agree. to get people in the pipe, but you're right. It could take you a little longer, but hopefully as organizations start really working on this and getting, and their, their, their boards are diverse and they're able to get to different talent, um, it starts to become easier.
but it's the attraction. It's the top of funnel. Instead of going out for the outbound, you know, sourcing, the inbound should be there. Right. The inbound attraction from a talent attraction standpoint. So let's shift in, you know, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the pandemic. And, you know, I read that Drift was all about in-person working and collab before like many other companies. <laughs> so what is, and listen, we're literally recording this on the 11th day of March. It was a D-Day for a lot of people. My yeah, it was, was a year 13th, ago. Right. What? What has that pivot had to do? You know, how, how has Drift had to adapt and say, wow, now we're, now we're remote. And, and I'd love to also hear what the current plan to come back is. Yeah. So um, as, as you just alluded to, and many other organizations have had to do this, we, um, you know, it was a year ago yesterday where we sent a message out to people and said, don't come back to the office. Um, and, you know, prior to that, we were very much an in-office-based culture. It was, there was buzz in the office, the music was blaring, there was, we were videoing a ton of stuff, like just a lot of activity happened in our office. And when we recruited people, we said, we were very transparent about it, but we said, listen, you're, it's five days a week, you need to be in the office five days a week. And if this is not, if that's not right for you, then Drift might not be right for you. And so we did a, a total 180 Um on this whole idea of culture and um, the the foundations of our um, organization to go, we had, I mean, you had, you, everybody's remote. So we had to embrace it because for, for safety reasons, we had to. It is what it is. You have no choice. And then we realized that, um, that, you know, this is like, we are digitally transforming the way our customers buy from each other. Like that's what we're helping our customers do. Um, and we want to lead the way in what, what is, what does this idea of digital first mean? What does it mean? And, you know, as you think about bringing the team back together, you can, there's four paths you can take, right? We could go back to that in office culture that we had before. And we were very much deliberate about it. One, two, hundred percent remote which means that there is no office, everybody's working from home and there's no right. way to, there's no opportunity to gather. That's, you know, hundred percent remote hybrid, um, which means you go back to the way that things were with a bit more flexibility or what we're doing, which is digital first. And I think the reason why we love and have jumped onto digital first so much, this is a mindset shift really. Um, we will, we have told the team that um, their primary office is going to be their home office. We've equipped, equipped them to be able to run that effectively with office setup and stipends to get mm -hmm. them going. And then a monthly stipend that they can use on, on wellness or food or whatever it is they want to do. And then we are converting our offices to what we're calling conversational spaces. And the idea it's is like a that... Hub, right? Yeah, and the idea okay. is that when you come into those spaces, you're either meeting with your customer or you're meeting with teams, but you're very intentional about collaborating when you're in that office space. And the reason why we were so deliberate on doing it this way is because of equity, right? Like I've worked at organizations where you say you're going to be hybrid, things fall apart, right? There's a meeting that's called in the yep. break room about some <laughs> important customer and you're not included because you're you're you there. you're at home. And so the idea is to ensure that everyone's on an equal playing field. Um, and as we started to hire people in different locations across the U.S., and then as we're expanding internationally, we've got two people in Australia that will expand to about four or five, and we've got about 12 or so in London right now. They're not on equal footing with people that are in the office location. Well, they're at a handicap of the time difference. Correct. And we didn't, and I don't, we didn't want to handicap them. And so this idea of um, going digital first, it's, it now we're, it ensures that you Smart. are 
doubling down on your digital footprint across the Drift organization. So if you are a manager, are you communicating effectively? Does everyone feel like they're connected? Do you run meetings efficiently? Is there is there are there is there a six pager if you're making decisions? So it, it just reinforces that hygiene around how teams collaborate Tremendous. and work together. And then we are in the process of building out our conversation conversation spaces to make to make those opportunities where people can actually connect to each other. Um, and then we'll bring the team together uh, twice a year for kickoffs and the other two quarters will be team like product management, marketing, sales, where those organizations are getting together in person. Hypothetically, how do you manage it if someone is completely reluctant to return to the physical office for whatever reason? It could be as extreme as they have a, you know, a physical, you know, limitation or maybe just mentally they, they're not ready for that. How, how do you plan to manage it, each they're, individual employee? Yeah, they're not gonna have to. Um, so the idea is that- But what if there's a team meeting collaboration so they could still digital into it and still be perfectly fine? Yep, so, so I mean, all of our conference, I mean, all of our, yeah, all of our conference rooms now are Zoom rooms so um, they can get in and, um, you know, as I, when I was talking about before, the sort of reinforcement of that, Hi, all of our people managers so were doubling down on training to make sure they they are actually um, equipped to work in this new digital world. But it but to answer your question, it, it doesn't matter. Now there are some positions, more junior level positions, like our um, sales development reps or our customer advocates, and we have we have said for those positions, we do want people either in Tampa, Boston, or San Francisco because. The, of the the L and D component to what they do. This could be their first job or their second job, and so we just that we have been very. We have said that for those positions, we and we tell people we've told people ahead of time before they even submit their and, application that they will be expected to most likely be in the office like two or three days a week. And Dean, I'm I'm, I'm nodding my head with you because I've had this conversation a lot about how companies that have jumped to be 100% remote, 100% no one's coming to the office, how that's going to affect two things. One the newer, younger employee in their career who don't have that opportunity to work side by side with someone more senior and really understand how they uh, communicate inter interpersonal communications in the office, how they navigate internally, how do they form those relationships. And the other piece that I wanted to ask you about, onboarding. I've seen some companies absolutely fail at this remote onboarding. They have not done a great job of it. I've seen other companies be extremely successful at it. What are you guys doing to ensure a smooth remote onboarding process, especially around those early relationships? You know, having that hiring manager really ensure that the new employee is meeting the right people, having the right conversations and getting and really truly being set up for success. Yeah. I mean, we've onboarded about. 140 people um, completely remotely. Um, it's it's led by our awesome onboarding manager, Allie Winkleman. Um, but she wow. has, um, she's gotten super creative with it. Um, we So this is a little bit different. So we, our L&D team and our onboarding team is part of our marketing team. So like it, this is what we do. So we, um, we, yeah. we educate we're changing the way businesses buy from businesses and we educate those marketing and sales people to be able to do that effectively with implementing drift. And so the drift foundations, what we, we put what we put our customers through, all of our drifters are going through that same drift foundation. So they understand what is conversational marketing? What does revenue acceleration mean? Um, how, what is a virtual sales assistant? How do I set up a playbook in Drift? So all of the drifters that come into the organization go through Drift Foundations just as our customers would. So everyone's on the same equal playing field. And then a lot of the things that we do um, with you know new hire, remote happy hours, or we're big fans of donut dates through Slack. 
there's a donut mechanism. Dates. Donut, we call them donut dates, but it's Slack, the, our, our, the Slack, Slack will automatically link you up with other people across the organization. And that's sort of, re, it, 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 it replicates bumping into somebody in the kitchen or grabbing a it. quick coffee. Uh, yeah. so, the the so, water cooler talk, the missing water cooler talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So we tried to virtually replicate that as much. It's, you know, we're, we're learning as we go and bumbling well, along as it, we go. And it, I think- it, it's, the, the, the other thing, the other thing too, is doubling down on these drift rituals of like, you know, what happens when you're in a remote world is you end up working with six or seven people that are working on that particular project, and you don't see everybody else. It's yeah, it's another thing that's really important for those two drift rituals, Monday metrics and Friday show and tell, where you have an opportunity to see everyone across the organization through Zoom, etc. So you can kind of you can put your arms around drift. Um, <laughs> As a new hire, someone that's been here for a while. So that's been really important to us. I love it. And I, and I applaud what you're doing over there. I mean, it's really exemplary for many organizations and just being adaptable. I think that's the word. I think that's the word that organizations really need to embrace. So let's let's bring it home here. And I want to talk about, let's, let's talk about Dina a little bit. <laughs> Dina, what is the greatest single piece of advice that you've ever received that you take action on every single day? Uh, I think it's... Um, you know, I say so sometimes people will say, um, fake it till you make it. And I hate that. So I am Me kind too. of, I am the antithesis of fake it till you make it, which means um, I think continuous learning is the hallmark of any successful leader. And I think you can learn through multiple ways, right? Like you can, I'm a big fan of what we sometimes call like reverse mentorship here at Drift, which means like I always try to seek a mentor that's just started at Drift, somebody that's just joined that has a totally different background than mine that I can learn from. Um, so I think, you know, continuous learning. I, I, I've been in the field for a long time, but I've never been through a pandemic, right? Like, so no, there's no several things that I can learn from. And I think I'm, I'm a voracious reader. I love to read. Um, I'm constantly sort of absorbing articles or different things that other organizations are doing. And so for me, continuous learning has been um, paramount to my success. I love it. That's tremendous. And Dina, what would you say your superpower is? You know, we're not talking about flying or superhuman strength, but what do you do better or best than almost anyone on this planet that makes you who you are? Uh, I, I, I'm, um, I'm an open book, Adam. I'm, um, I, so, so when we talk about transparency, earlier on uh it's just my mo i mean i'm i'm i i'm i'm incredibly transparent I, I i like to share failures as well as successes and um i think it's something that i that i do particularly well and you've been incredibly generous today with with sharing with us so let me ask you you know I like to end the shows on, on a positive note, and I'd love if you could share a professional silver lining and a personal silver lining that you've experienced over the last year. Huh, I got a good personal one for you. I'll, go, I'll jump there. Um, um, and you, I'll appreciate this with little, with you have, you have little people in your life. Um, no, so they're little. As, little as with my, big mouths, yeah. <laughs> as my daughter described it, COVID was the best year to have braces, Adam. <laughs> Because my, you're wearing my mic just didn't take that. Yeah, I love it. That's you're great. wearing a mask. She's like she's had she's a year through her braces. Oh um, my god, I love it. She's 14, and so um, she only has like you know half a year left, and probably still. And she'll, come wearing a mask. <laughs> she'll come out she'll with come, straight teeth. She'll come out with teeth. She'll come out with straight teeth and teeth, and no one really saw the braces. Oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> and what about professionally? I think for you know the thing, the silver lining to a lot of this is what I talked a bit about earlier is. Um, um, it's that 
it's it, it's pivoting. It's sort of working, you know, being resilient to all those things. But I think it's reinforcing and sort of thinking about different ways of leading. Um, I, you know, I talked about digital footprint. I think, I think, I think, it, and, and you've heard this before, right? Like you get, you get to see people's dogs. You understand. I mean, I now I know what's going on in your life because we're, we were trying to, to, to reschedule this a few times. And so well, I think there's, you've been, drama. you've been for, we have been forced to sort of see a window into people's working lives that we didn't have visibility into before. And your the relationships are stronger 100%. for it. And so I wouldn't wish this. I hope this. I don't want this to happen again. But I think, for me, I've gotten to know my team in in mm-hmm. different ways than I had ever had before. Um, and I think it's you know, or, people are looking for organizations to help build that community, and the community has been strengthened because we now understand um, pressures that individuals have had on their lives and their families and what's happening. And there's there's a there's a um, appreciation for that. Because of absolutely, all and I and I hope you know their light is at the we're we're finally seeing the light. You know the vaccines are rolling out. Everyone's getting. We're going to get back to a semblance of what we had before. It's going to be different. Right. But I truly hope, and I and I would assume you agree that we really truly cherish so many of these lessons, that togetherness, realizing what's important, prioritizing. So, Dina, last but not least, you know you look back on your life and you look back on your career, and like everyone else, you've had trials and tribulations and and really hard times, and you look back on those hard times. And you think about when you had to dig down deep inside and really harness that inner tenacity to pull yourself up. And on the flip side of that, when you look back at your career, your life, your family, everything that you're grateful for, Dina Upton, what is your North Star? What is your compass in life? Yeah, it's relationships. I think that um, you know you you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. And I love the team. I love my family. I love the team that I work that I'm working with. I love that I don't have to compartmentalize my personal life to be successful at work, that my team celebrates. Like I was just on a one-to-one with um, someone that's on my team and she was asking about um, my daughter's sort of secondary school stuff. And so I think for me, it's those relationships, the strength of those relationships are what is most important to me. And I, and I, I, I really enjoy what I'm doing. Dina, I want to thank you for your time your generosity, your vulnerability, and your transparency. Where could folks find you? Where could they connect with you? Where could they learn more? Um, I am Heydina on Twitter, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm active on LinkedIn. So you can find me in both of those locations. Dina, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate you. Thanks, Adam. And everyone joining us today, thank you for listening. I really, truly hope that you gained a tremendous amount of value from this conversation I had with Dina. Uh, If you want to find out more, please go to thepodcast.com. You know all of our social media channels and share it. If you liked it, please leave a rating and review. And remember, take care of each other, stay six feet apart, and catch us next week for another great episode of The Podcast. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Podcast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com. <laughs>